0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited. The World Marathon majors are right around the corner. So many other Uh, marathons have already started. And it is so exciting. I know so many of you have been working so hard for so long to get to this point. It is finally here. Your race may be starting in two or three weeks. So now what, right? The training's already happened. What do you do? What do you do next to get ready for the race during your taper to make sure that you can have the best race that you possibly can. That is exactly what today's podcast is all about. As you probably already saw from the title of the show, it's all about tapering. Today we on this today on this coach's corner episode we have Coach James McCurdy, the founder and co-head of McCurdy Trained, one of if not the most popular run coaching companies in the country. And I am one of the coaches at that company. I love it. That's for sure. You're gonna hear so many great suggestions from James in this episode. But I do want to say, if you are looking for a coach, there's no better place than McCurdy trained. And I personally would love to be your coach. So if you're marathon starting in two weeks, well, you don't need a coach for that marathon. <laughs> You've already done what you need to do. That is for sure. But you know what? There's always more training and racing coming up. And that's the fun part of this sport is that we don't think in the short term we think in the long term and if you are trying to prepare for the long term i would love to help you do that so whether it's a spring marathon any race in the future or just generally trying to enjoy being fit and being as fit as you possibly can i would love to be your coach head over to mccurdytrained.com today and you can go right there you can register and you can suggest a coach and there are so many great coaches on the roster so Let's dive into this episode, this Coach's Corner episode with James McCurdy. Okay, we are back with another Coach's Corner episode with James McCurdy. James, thanks for coming back on the show, my man.
1: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: So... We are now knee-deep into marathon season. It has been a long time coming for so many people, and a lot of big marathons are coming. Some have already happened, I will say that, but we're going to put out this episode because so many people are getting ready for their marathons, as they, as people love to say. Uh, most of them aren't farmers, but they love to say the hay is in the barn, and it's time to make it happen, which means we got that gap between Building the fitness, preparing our bodies for what race day will entail, and then race day itself. So let's talk about the taper. First things first, Coach James. I want to ask you this because I know I ask a question and you are just going to go. So I want to set you up as good as I can. All right, what is the purpose of a taper? Well,
1: it's interesting. Um, I I just wrote an, a note to my athletes just yesterday, and I actually published a snippet of it uh, on Instagram. Uh, and essentially it was, listen, the the fitness that we have been working for, if you're running a marathon next weekend, uh, on the weekend of the third or the, uh, the weekend after that, the 10th and 11th, essentially St. George or Ireland, uh, or, or Chicago or Boston or any other marathon or even half marathon, that's a goal race, the fitness that we have been working for is done. Like you are as fit as you're going to get. And the only things that we can do in these next two weeks or even two and a half, three weeks is risk health. You're not going to get more fit, but we can risk health. Uh, So let's let's not, as we lighten the load for some of you. As we relax, let's not make risky choices by running too fast. Let's not make risky choices in terrain. Let's not make risky choices in doing other things. Let's focus on the purpose of what it is we're trying to do and not try to get that last ounce of fitness because it doesn't exist. Now, you're, you're as fit as you're going to be right now for these races. Specifically, let's talk about Chicago and Boston. You're as fit as you're going to be. The only thing that we can do is 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 mess it up big time. I think I used a harsher word than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you can mess it up big time if you if you're too risky. So the purpose of the taper, uh it really it really depends on your level of ability. A taper for someone who's running 30 or 35 miles a week, to be honest with you, it really shouldn't exist because that's not a lot of running unless it's taking you 15 minute miles. You're not spending that much time on your feet. Uh, and and a taper for someone who's running 90, 100 miles a week is, is going to be a scale back of running, uh, but not too much. We're just trying to get blood flow and keep consistency. So a 10-mile run might turn to, into 8 or a 12-mile run might turn into 9. But with a 30 or 35-mile-a-week runner, we don't want to go 5-mile run down to 2. That doesn't make sense. So – Taper is very different for different levels of athletes. And, and I personally, and I know, there's, I know there's different trains of thought out there. Uh, I just don't agree with them. I don't think someone who's running 30, 40 miles a week really needs to taper that much at all. The thing that we'll, we might do is a reduction in volume of speed. The intensity remains, but we'll re- reduce the volume of speed work. But everything else is really going to kind of stay the same.
0: All right. That's a great point. Right, so let's touch on that. All right. Because a lot of people who are listening to this might fall into that bucket of the, the 35-ish mile a week runner. The other thing is the long run, right? So you have the, the, the component of the speed and then say the long run, right? So say we're a week out. So the weekend, you mentioned tapering before being two to two and a half weeks for some people. but say you have the two-week taper. That really means that like one weekend is really going to be severely affected by a taper Uh, In terms of what you may have been previously doing in the last six to 10 weeks from a long run perspective. So let's talk about that 35 mile a week runner the weekend before their marathon. Maybe they're typically going to maybe two and a half hours. Um, What should they be thinking about the weekend before?
1: You know, if if it's self-guided, I would say a good rule of thumb would be 75 to 85 minute long run. Uh, If they're running a marathon, uh, the inside of that might include three or four segments of marathon intensity. So what I mean by that is maybe three or four miles at marathon intensity with a warm-up and cool-down, with a jog recovery. Uh, That might be something that lasts 75 to 85 minutes, total length of time. Depending on the speed of athlete, that might be um, 11 or 12 miles. 14 miles, that might be eight or nine miles. It really depends on the length of time that you're exposed for. But if three by one mile at marathon is beating you up, you're probably not running that pace (laughs) for the marathon anyway. So it really shouldn't be that hard. It's one mile, two miles, four total miles of intensity at marathon is not hard. That's something that you're going to be able to handle for three or four five hours, depending on who you are. That's not meant to be an aggressive session.
0: Absolutely. Now – a tri- when people think of like the traditional taper, oftentimes what we're talking about is, all right, say I go online, I'm coaching myself, I'm researching, okay, what is a taper, looking at some of the plans? Hal Higdon has been on, has been on this show. He has coached, I think, one trillion marathoners, uh, all told, between all of his plans. An awesome, awesome guy. <laughs> and I'll say this. No one is more surprised by this than Hal Higdon, who's <laughs> like, I can't believe so many people are reading these. Um, with all of that said... What is a traditional taper that maybe some people are used to, and how are some of the things that you like to incorporate into your athletes? Um, as you mentioned before, you 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 have opinions on this, and maybe they don't always jive with what other people are doing.
1: That's a really good question. Um, I don't know what tradition actually is in the sport uh, when it comes to this, because there's such varying thing. I've heard people, well, I don't want to be overtrained, so I'm going to scale back three weeks out, and I'm like. What I like to do is what is a professional runner doing? And then how do we scale that back to a novice runner? If a professional runner is not going to be tapering three weeks before their marathon, and they're primed with the most mileage and the most intensity and the most exposure at intensity – well, then why would we scale back somebody who's a novice running a third of the distance with nowhere near the exposure? A three-week taper just it, – it, it, to me, is lunacy. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, so I, I think generally a good rule of thumb is around 10 days or so, right? Uh And inside of that, maybe add in a rest day if you haven't been taking any rest days. But if you've been taking rest days, just keep them. And then maybe reduce the mileage of easy runs by one or two miles at the most um, if you're in that 30 to 35, 45 miles a week range. Uh, reduce the speed volume a little bit. I think you know tradition, well, the, I, this, this is what I've read or this is what they said. They is a bunch of people who, who are making suppositions about your life who have no idea who you are. So I don't trust they. I, I, I really do believe that there's an individualized component to this. So I don't I don't think tradition really falls into play.
0: Absolutely. And we've talked about the the speed element and we've talked about the you know, the long run specifically. Right. In terms of all right, what, what does that mean the weekend before and, and what, what can we do there? Uh, the, another component of tapering that sometimes can can throw people off is because we're scaling back the volume and because we're scaling back the speed, they're going to feel better on their easier runs. Obviously. Right. That is that is the whole point of what we're doing. With that said, it can be easy for people to unknowingly, subconsciously or just because, hey, I'm feeling good to start tapping the gas a little bit on their easy runs during their taper, if for no other reason that they're feeling good. So the taper is working. So when you're talking to your athletes who might fall into that mode or, you know, or maybe. Um, are are the kind of people who are more likely to go with that feeling? How do you explain to them the importance of maybe not taking, uh, that route? It's a conversation I
1: have with athletes of all ability. Uh, one of my athletes, Molly is running the project 13.1 half marathon this coming weekend, and she's primed and ready to go. Now, this is six weeks out from her goal marathon of New York city. So we're actually going to race this really, really hard. And I scaled her back quite a bit. Actually, this past weekend was a reduced version of a marathon session. Uh, so she's like, oh, what well, can I run a little fast? No, you can't. <laughs> I just want you to spend this amount of time running at marathon intensity. And then one of the next texts was uh, maybe a day or two later was, oh, can I run more miles? No, you can't. I just want this because we're trying to scale back. Oh, you know, and She didn't end up asking, but somebody else did, oh, can I run a little faster since I'm not running as much? No, you can't. Easy is easy. We don't want to fall into the gray zone. We want to make sure that easy stays easy, normal, easy pace. And for some people, that's a range of 45 seconds depending on the day. But you really shouldn't be, in my mind, uh, for most people, within a minute of marathon. If you're running within a minute, inside of a minute of true marathon ability, and you're a four-hour marathoner, uh, down to maybe even a three-hour marathoner, or certainly faster, you're probably not running easy. You're probably not running easy. Now, if you're if you're a four and a half or five-hour marathoner, that gap's going to be a little bit lower, maybe thirty or forty-five seconds, because it's a four and a half hour event, five hour. Right.
0: Event. It's, it's relative. It's a percentage it's yeah. To, yeah,
1: to where you are. So that gap can be a little bit less. Um, and that's probably still normal, easy for you. But if you're in that mid range, uh, then you don't want to be within a minute of marathon.
0: Yeah. And that's a great point because like early on in the training period, we talk about, or even if you're just not, you're not training for something, you're just You're just running and you're trying to figure out what the next race is going to be. Easy is a feeling. Easy is not a pace. However, during the taper time, you're like, okay, easy is no longer a feeling because you should be feeling really good. Yeah. All of a sudden, easy now is a pace or, as you put it, a pace range, right? Because, okay, again, like we've talked about on the show, as long as your form isn't sloppy, there's no such thing as too slow. There can be too fast. And, again, um, really trying to dial that back because you don't want to do something that you are going to regret later. Yeah, that's interesting,
1: right? So one of my athletes, Pardon, I just uh, had a good conversation with him for about an hour yesterday that we posted on, on Instagram. And we talked a little bit about his running. And one of the things we didn't get into was some of his runs start at 8.30 per mile, and they progress into 7 minute or 6.50. You know, he, he really does take his time. Um, but on the faster end of easy, he doesn't really go near marathon. So even for him at his level, because of the volume he's running and the pace he's running, even at his faster end of easy is still about a minute and a half slower than his true marathon ability. Um, but I wouldn't call 830 too slow for him. It's just the first few miles he really does take his time and let his body warm up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know Kim Smith has been known for, like, the, the queen of this method. Like, all, all the Kim Smith training partners are like, oh, the Kim Smith first two miles are, are hard to do. They're like 10-minute pace and she, like, grinds into it. Oh, it, it.
1: John's the same way. John Raniere is the same way. Like, he'll uh, – and I love it because he doesn't get anxious. Actually, they were on a run yesterday. Uh, John Raniere uh, foots them. Uh, who's on a, on the squad? Uh, Jacob Thompson, who who's a friend of ours in town, and Abdi Abdrakhman, five time Olympian, uh, uh, uh or four time, five time, I'm not sure. He's just been on the Olymp- Olympic team for pretty much his entire professional career. And and Abdi said, apparently, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way into seven minute pace, and within the first mile, he just took off. <laughs> <laughs> whereas John was literally running like eight-minute pace to start. Um, and right away, there was massive separation. Um, it's, it's okay to run a little bit slower. It, it, have the confidence in your fitness and in your health and in your ability that you don't need to rush. And everybody's a little different doesn't mean that if your best friend's starting off a little faster than you that you're doing anything wrong. And it doesn't mean that if your friends are starting off a little slower that you're doing anything wrong. Have the confidence to do what confidence to do what it is you need. Just keep yourself contained.
0: Right. And, and we're not going to dive too much into the easy paces here because we are going to focus on tapering. But a lot of the time, too, we're talking about, like, when are you running? Right. If you're like getting up, you're running 30 minutes after you wake up. You're probably going to want to start out a little slower. Whereas, say you're running kind of in the in the heart of the day when you've been moving around all day and your body's just naturally active, you're like, okay, I can. You can probably start out a little faster again without really any impact either way. But it's more of like, what is your body ready to do? And let's just let's just start there.
1: With tapering, too, we're probably going to talk about it is the kind of the eating, the 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 food. That's where I was going to next. Yeah. Uh it's interesting everybody's a little different in my mind carb loading at a at a kind of a top level is really shouldn't be too much of an issue um because for me what i'm thinking about in endur- like focusing on endurance training uh, my brain isn't just focusing on the running it's funny uh, focusing on all aspects of it so i believe that a, a good endurance athletes natural Diet. I don't mean dieting, but nutrition intake. A daily nutrition, a, their natural daily nutrition should be around sixty percent carbohydrates anyway. So maybe we increase a little bit of carbohydrates, uh, just a little bit, and reduce a little bit of uh, of, of fat or protein or something, just a, just a just a smidge. But we're not going to change too much. When when the mileage comes down, we don't necessarily want to change the volume of food that's coming in because one thing you don't want to feel is hungry on the start line of a marathon. You don't want to be the lightest you've ever been at the start of the marathon. It's really important that you feel kind of content and f- not stuffed, but level. Uh, because what's going to happen in the marathon, you're going to lose weight. <laughs> you're going to lose a lot of water. And with carb loading and with, with refilling the glycogen store. So your volume, I got to put my coffee down here. Your volume of running comes down. And your your food kind of stays the same. What ends up happening is you're you're not dipping into the glycogen stores anymore, and now they're topping off. And really, those final three or four days uh, leading into the race, but what a natural process and a natural reaction to topping off your glycogen stores is water retention. It's very natural to gain two, three, maybe even four pounds of water weight. It doesn't mean you gained weight. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It's a natural reaction of glycogen storage to hold on to water. You want that because you're going to lose sweat over three, four, five hours of running, right? So it's okay. You don't want to be gaunt at the start line of of your race.
0: I love this. And we talked in depth about this with Lisa Braden uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. If you're listening to this, you should go back and listen to that episode. We touch on more than just uh, marathon fueling, but that was the crux of what we talked about. And she really spoke in the exact same terms, you know, three days out. That's kind of what we're talking about, fueling. In addition to that, she recommends eating carbohydrates all the time anyway. Again, not a huge departure of the things that you mentioned. And I can just like I can imagine like the, the devil on someone's shoulder whispering to them. As they're beginning their taper, you're not running as much now. You're not exercising as much. This isn't as hard. You don't need to eat as much. Don't you want to be? Don't you want to be at your best on race day? Don't you don't you don't want to like you know? Then like also have the the taper crazy that can dive in of like the phantom feelings that we get. And I can I know people go through this. They have this feeling of like I'm just going to dial it back a little bit just just to match my decrease in production. I'm just going to dial it back a little bit, James. Not a lot, I promise. When someone says that to you, or you know that's their mindset, what are the things that you really try to make sure they understand?
1: I try to be ahead, from a coaching standpoint. That's why I wrote the note last night to my athletes. Uh, part, but the other reason is because we have never seen what it is we're about to see. Like we had just gone through eighteen months of never having been through that 18 months before where nothing was going on. And now we're about to go through a, a three or four month period where everything is going on. So we're, we're going through the biggest roller coaster in inactivity to activity we've ever seen in this sport and really in our lives. Um, so I wanted to be ahead of that, knowing how chaotic it's going to be. But I try to be as proactive in these thoughts as possible so the seeds of sanity are are overtaking the seeds of
0: doubt. That's a really nice way of putting it. That is for sure. And I can imagine certain people are like, "Okay, got it. That makes sense." I'm sorry. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that I that I eat the right way. All that stuff. Can um, <laughs> we? This I, this is a silly point. And for experienced runners, you're gonna be like, "I can't believe they're talking about this." Um, but like the past, like. The night before fueling, right? Oh, like wow. there's, yeah. <laughs> this, this is one of those things that it becomes like lore. It's like one of those things where like you, you hear it over time and then it becomes memed into, uh, into the office, Michael Scott having fettuccine Alfredo 30 seconds before his race. Can we talk about the day before fueling and what actually matters and what doesn't matter? Sure. So it,
1: I believe, and I've seen great success when it comes to timing of your race. Uh, especially for the longer races. Um, If your half marathon is going to take you two, two and a half, three hours, or if your marathon is going to take you three, four, five hours, and you have an early marathon time, what I recommend is having a bigger – the day before, having a little bigger breakfast, having a morning snack, having a bigger lunch than you might normally have, having your afternoon snack, and then having a moderate-sized dinner – That you wouldn't normally have. For most people, they'll have a bigger dinner than they do a lunch. But what I find is that when a race is a little bit earlier in the morning or they have to get things moving earlier than they expect, I find that having a bigger breakfast, bigger lunch and keeping the snacks in play and then having a, a medium to moderate to smaller than average size dinner helps their digestion a little bit. And quite frankly, gets them to poop a little bit better in the morning when they wake up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you said get things moving early in the morning, I wasn't sure if that was going to be a euphemism or if we were going to actually just like come right out with it. But it is I'm the most right important thing it. on race day morning. Besides it not is. forgetting your bib, yeah. that is the most important thing to do on race day morning. I think it's really important to
1: feel comfortable, to not be on the line feeling, oh my God, what's my stomach going to do? Because that, that, even for professional runners, that's a big worry. And sometimes there's no counterbalancing it. You know I've had professional runners mess themselves in races uh, towards the end because life happens and they did everything right and that's okay. that's that's gonna happen to the very best of us. Um, but in that, let's try to let's try to be ahead of try to solve some of those problems before they even exist. So bigger breakfast, bigger lunch, and a smaller dinner. Uh, with Boston, it's a little different situation. You know, Boston, there's a lot of things happening that morning. People got to get on the bus at 530 or 730, but they're not running until 11 or 12, right? Or whenever it is that they're going to officially decide or officially announce when their waves are. So you want to have your breakfast. You want to have a snack. You might want a second or third snack, depending on how long it's going to be, because what you don't want to be is hungry at the start line. You absolutely, without a doubt, do not want that. You want to be prepared. You want to have an understanding that you might be six hours away from the race when you wake up because that race is a little bit chaotic, especially this year with all the COVID protocols that are going to be taking place. You have to be prepared for those situations nutritionally because it might be a a very, very long time before you get on the line and start running you don't want to be underfueled bring as much with you as you can that are that you know you're going to respond well to keep it as simple as you can bagels a little bit of peanut butter might not be a bad thing graham crackers might not be a bad thing maybe you can uh starches uh morton um the, keeping things that are normalized that aren't going to upset your stomach would be a really really good thing and to be honest maybe even some some electrolytes uh, uh leading into it but a few days leading in but even that morning if it's going to it could be a warm day. So having something like First Endurance uh, EFS Pro or, or Scratch or You can Hydrate, having that the morning of might help keep you a little bit safer later on.
0: And when we talked before about tapering, the basically the assumption was that the training plan went pretty close to how you wanted it to go, right, from a health perspective, right? One thing, though, as we all know, and that for a lot of people, that isn't necessarily the case. So let's talk about what tapering again, we're just peaking in, in broad strokes here. In this case, you can actually ask me questions. So I'll like say I am the injured athlete and you can quiz me and I will let you know what has happened, what hasn't happened, and we can kind of diagnose what a taper, potential taper should look like. But say the people who maybe they're battling injuries a little bit or something popped up six weeks out from the marathon. So then they had to take a little bit of time off in what normally would have been a very peak part of their training. And now they're like, okay, oh, now I'm feeling healthy. It's two weeks out, but I kind of just tapered in a sense, and now we're two weeks out. What do I do now? Yeah, so
1: I, I actually have a few athletes running Boston personally that uh, that I'm not tapering for at all. Now, I mean it doesn't mean that they're going to have a two and a half hour long run the week be- uh, the weekend before, but we're still going to do speed, pretty pretty big speed uh, about ten days out, and we're still going to have a moderate to big size speed session uh, Tuesday or Wednesday before their weekend race. Uh, maybe a little bit more time to recover. We'll we'll probably throw in a mini speed session on a uh, Thursday or Friday just to kind of get the legs turning over. Um, but we're, we're really, the process isn't, Too different, it's just maybe that volume of speed kind of stays the same. I just wouldn't want to do a two, two and a half hour long run seven days out. I've got one athlete in particular who's a great runner. His name's Angel. He's run 225 in the marathon uh, and he's running Boston. He ran into, when I started working with him this spring, he ran into some problems at the very end of his track season. And right off the bat, he ended up with a uh, Morton's neuroma. Uh, uh, in, in his, uh, in his foot. And we had to take about eight or nine weeks off. He was already going to take a little bit of a break, but then we were going to start marathon, the the marathon segment. And we missed two months of training, (laughs) you know, like we couldn't do anything. So for him this weekend, it wouldn't be my normal, but this coming weekend, he's got 14 miles at marathon, just two weeks out before, uh, his, his marathon, uh, in Boston. I wouldn't normally do it that close. I might normally do that maybe three or four weeks out, but I do believe he needs to get that in. Now for him, that's only going to be 80 minutes of marathon exposure, right? So that's not too much for his level uh, or too much different uh, than I would normally go for his level. But I wouldn't give that to somebody who's running four hours. I wouldn't give them 14 miles, but I would say maybe let's go for 75, 80 minutes of exposure. Uh, and I'd feel comfortable there. Um, but in that for him, that's going to be, we're extending his block maybe just a week, a week longer. And then there's going to be a little bit of a reduction.
0: Yeah. It kind of, it sounds like it kind of looks like that, what the first week of a taper would look like in a sense. <sighs> yeah, right. Cause but... in the, in the, in the first week of a taper, you're still going to have the midweek yeah. workout. Yeah. right and 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 you'll you'll start decreasing the volume but maybe it's like by a mile or two on the easy runs nothing nothing drastic
1: now with him in particular this is an individual who's been running 90 miles a week mm-hmm. and then i'm bringing him down to like 75 to 80 it's a little bit different now 75 to 80 sounds like a lot for a lot of people but what for this individual athlete Time on feet. His normal easy runs are anywhere from sixty-five to seventy-five minutes. He throws in a double hero there because he can. He's got the freedom in his schedule, so it's not as much time on feet. It might be equal to somebody running fifty or fifty-five miles a week at that three and a half hour mark.
0: Okay, not something that we usually talk about uh, for a tapering, but for a lot of people, they you know for them part of the marathon ex- part of the marathon experience. Some of the decisions that have to get made revolve around shoes, okay? And you and I have talked about shoes plenty of times, both on and offline. Instead of, again, everyone has their own budget. They have their own shoe needs. Their feet are different. How they land are different. We're not going to, like, speak generally about, okay, these are the kind of shoes you should wear for a marathon. Let's just talk about a break-in process for some of these carbon plated race marathon shoes right so we are a lot of people know what like a daily trainer feels like they know how they feel like out of the box so how they feel like the day of i mean know the, the, within the first run but some of these carbon plated racers and they can be you know some of the plastic racers as well the plastic plated racers they is the is the break-in process any different and just from a purchasing perspective what should people keep in mind in terms of the time between purchase kind of runs they should have on them before race day, and then feeling comfortable that this would be a positive experience for them and not something that could potentially detract from their race.
1: Yeah. Harvey is running the Boston Marathon in the pro field, Harvey Nelson. And yesterday we were talking about his shoes. And I said, do you have a fresh pair of racing shoes? He said, yeah, I've got one one more pair that, that I'm going to use for Boston. Uh, and th- yesterday was his last big session. Um I said okay maybe we'll get a you know one or two workouts in them. He's like honestly I think maybe I'll just do one or two miles in marathon and a, one workout of strides in them and I'm going to be good to go because he's comfortable with that. I suggested maybe getting one full speed session and one mini session in them and because that's what I would feel comfortable with. That's what what I know for myself how I know that the shoe is quote unquote broken in. I don't think the 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 phrase breaking in a shoe means the same thing now that it that it used to mean. I think shoes from like ten fifteen years ago needed a little bit of love before they were like broken in. I think now shoes have come a little bit more ready to run out of the box. Um, but I wouldn't wear a brand new pair of shoes the morning of the race. I'd have a, a few miles in them, and maybe that means I wouldn't say like five easy runs, but maybe that means throwing them on for some strides, or maybe that means. Half of a speed session, you're going to wear this pair of shoes just to kind of get the feel of that bounce of that because they're going to be more fresh than, than regular shoes. I would say if you have 200 miles on racing shoes, it's at this point, it's probably a good idea if you have it in your budget to get a, a, a fresh pair if performance is your goal. They're probably losing their ability to handle the load.
0: Yeah, and I would say a couple other things to, to add to your points, which are um, really well said, is even beyond just the midsole and how it feels, is making sure that how you know how it feels at marathon pace, right? Not just, again, in terms of the spring off the carbon fiber plate or the bounciness of the foam, but the stability. Because some of these, a lot of these shoes have kind of a max stack height on them. And you want to make sure that you're stable in them, that your foot is 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 really, you know, tucked in nicely to them, especially if you're running a race that has a lot of turns, right? So some some races don't have a ton, right? Boston doesn't have a ton, right? You go to Chicago, you might have a completely different experience. So how are you going to feel doing the the 37, 90 degree turns in Chicago versus going pretty straight in Boston, relatively speaking? And how is that going to affect you and make sure that, again, that you feel comfortable, especially for the, the dedicated amateur runner set? You might be in a pretty big crowd doing some of these corners as opposed to someone who has a lot of room around them.
1: Yeah, that it's a really good point. I think at this point, if anyone um, with if maybe you if you're running Chicago and you've just been running out and backs uh, because that's where you have uh, for for your training, I would suggest running in neighborhoods. I would suggest as long as it's safe. I would suggest running in neighborhoods. uh, Just one or two of these workouts, if if that's your situation, just to get used to the idea of what it means to turn. Uh, That's a really good point. It's it's something that's very valid. I I try to have my athletes who are running races like that mimic those. Um, Or if they're doing a looped marathon, let's mimic that in your training just so we can have an understanding of what it means to be on course or run the same loop over and over again or to have so many turns in your race.
0: All right, I think that's all the taper talk. I, that's all the taper talk that I had budgeted for with some of my questions. Are there any things or t- any questions or topics that I didn't bring up that you want to make sure that we address before we get going?
1: Uh no. I honestly, I think that that, that covers a lot. I mean, there's uh, there's always more that we can talk about in a subject, but that to me, that that covers a lot. Um, I, I would say I would just add a lot of people at the novice level look at magazines like runner's world or look at what base training plan remember that these ideas are are kind of formed from professional running and what a professional runner might do or have available to them isn't always available or appropriate for a novice runner. A specific workout, five by mile, six by mile at marathon for a professional male might only be four four, four minutes and fifty seconds, five minutes at effort. But for somebody who's running nine minutes 10 minutes at marathon. Well, that all of a sudden that that exposure to intensity doubles. And that's that's a that's a much different session. So think about what makes sense for you as an athlete, not just, oh, this is a flashy workout, or what this is what this this person did, or the, even this is my best friend, this is what they did. How long am I gonna be running? And how does it make sense for me?
0: That is such a good point, right? I mean, it's, it's never It's probably not going to be one-to-one, but I think people would be surprised if they look at pros, um, especially pros who don't do doubles, that how, how their time on feet isn't a drastic departure than what a lot of dedicated amateur runners are doing from a time-on-feet perspective. Their mileage may be way different, and for good reason, but the time on feet may be re- more close than you would think.
1: Yeah, and, and their time on feet and their aerobic capacity to handle the load one, uh, one of John's workouts has been featured on YouTube, uh, on the sweat elite YouTube page. And an individual said, Oh, I'm going to steal this for my workout. And I was like, I don't know how fit you are, but he's running basically four by 15 minutes at marathon with a six minute jog recovery, depending on where you are and how strong and how fit you are. Consider not doing four by three miles, but consider maybe doing three by fifteen minutes with a six minute jog can be a similar session of exposure, but we bring the volume down and we just don't overexpose you. And I have no idea who this guy is, but I think that's one of the biggest things that is an issue: is they see these monster workouts, but it's only four by fifteen minutes. It's not that big of a session, not really. But if you if you're an eight minute marathoner, nine minute marathoner per mile, then it becomes four by 24 minutes or four by 27 minutes and that is a drastic also
0: you're doing two hours at marathon pace and you're like oh boy what was this whoa why do i feel broken don't do that there you go well said james thank you so much for coming on the show if people are interested in learning more about you and mccurdy trained where should they go
1: Uh, McCurdyTrain.com. We have, you know, we've been updating the website. So hopefully everything is kind of running a little bit more smoothly now, uh, which I think it is. Uh, And you can certainly follow us on Instagram, uh, uh, at McCurdyTrained, and Twitter, of course. That's more me blasting (laughs) my personal beliefs on Twitter, but that's all right, too. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for the time, dude.
0: James, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always so much knowledge coming from Coach James McCurdy. Here on the podcast, such an awesome guy and a great coach as well. If you're looking to get coached, head over to mccurdytrain.com. There are so many coaches there willing and able to help you, and I am one of them. I would love to be your coach. I love working with dedicated amateur runners who are looking to do fun and inspiring things. And with all of that being said, if you're listening to this part of the episode, thank you so much for listening all the way through. Quick heads up we started a YouTube channel, YouTube. Rambling Runner reviews. We're going to have some coaching videos and information and running information on there as well with a lot of shoe reviews. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know my love for running shoes. I've loved them forever. And I am so excited to start this this, um, this channel. This is something that I've thought about for a very long time. So head over there today. It's the Rambling Runner channel on YouTube. You can just use the YouTube search bar or you can just use the show notes here on the podcast to click over there today. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song Righteous Path featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah